0: Good morning again, my name is Matt Howell. I decided to not run up to the pulpit this time like I did last time. I'm here in the church again by myself recording on my phone because this is the world that we're in right now. Um, Again, Matt Howell, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. I wanna welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning online. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I'm sure it was strange and different. You know, if if the Macy's Day parade was any sign of... How things are just strange and different this year. Um, I'm sure this was true of your Thanksgiving as well. Just strange, different, but hopefully it was sweet and encouraging to be with your family or whoever you chose to spend your Thanksgiving with. Um, However you find yourself this morning, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us here at Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we're a community of people, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor, and the way that we do that is we gather together every week, even online, so that we might uh, worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by doing so, we might rest in His love for us, and then we also get together throughout the week, individually and over small groups, so that we could remind one another of His love for us. And as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service and in justice and in building relationships and in praying and caring for our neighbors so that we might uh, reflect the love of God here in Midtown. So, uh, that's a little bit about who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest and remind and reflect. And here we are uh, turning to the season of Advent, which is crazy that we're already here in in Advent, but we're going to be spending the next uh, month or so discussing... Why Jesus came? As you might know, the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. It's the season of the church calendar where we take a sustained uh, season of focus to prepare for the once and future coming of Jesus, which is an interesting language to think about. You know, when somebody says that you know that they've they've You know, they have come, that, that is a way of saying, uh, that there's an assumption they have come from somewhere else before. You know, if I say, you know, what time did your plane come in? Uh, the assumption is you, you flew from somewhere else. So when we talk about Jesus coming, we're talking about Jesus's arrival, meaning he, he pre-existed somewhere else. The Bible assumes, even for, even in its language, that Jesus is divine. That Jesus has eternally existed uh, with God the Father and has in- invaded our world. He's entered into it. He's come into our world. And uh, this is why we celebrate uh, Christmas, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus, God himself, took on flesh and came into our world, that he entered into it. Now, think about this for just a second. Let's just say that tomorrow morning you wake up And uh, you yawn and you stretch and you you put on your slippers and your robe. If you're into that, if you, you know, if you're, if that's your thing to rock the robe and you, you you know, you zombie walk over to the coffee pot and you look over in the living room and you see me sitting there smiling, waving at you on the couch. Good morning. Now you would be startled half to death, but uh, your first thought would be, okay, why are you here? Maybe maybe your first thought would be, how in the world did you get into my house? The, 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 there's an alarm system, how, how did you get here? But shortly after that, you would wanna know, why are you in my house right now? My uh, unexpected arrival demands for an explanation. In the same way with Jesus, Jesus doesn't just barge into our world unannounced. He he very graciously, you know, he's not rude. He gives his reasons. He explains why he decided to come. And so all throughout the Bible, there are these spots that are just kind of sprinkled throughout that that give you the reasons why Jesus entered into our world, why he came into our world. And so what we're going to do for this Advent season is we're going to just Pick a sampling of those reasons that are kind of sprinkled throughout and see why it is that Jesus came. And then you're going to find out in this passage this morning, Mark chapter one, that one of the reasons why Jesus has come is to preach. Mark chapter one, beginning in verse 35, says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Let me pray and then we'll consider it together. Father, I pray that you would take these next few moments, open up our eyes, unclog our ears, soften our hearts that we might see and behold the beauty of who you are and what you would have for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, the air just turned on. I don't know if you heard that. You forget sometimes how loud the air conditioning is in this space. It's like thunder. Anywho, Two things I want to look at with you this morning. Two questions I want to try to answer. Why was Jesus preaching and why does it matter? Why was Jesus preaching, why does it matter? here's number one. Why was Jesus preaching? Well, at this point in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is in Capernaum and he's staying at Simon's house. And there's all of these people that have flocked to him so that they can be healed. I didn't include it in your passage, but if you just jump up just a few verses in verse 32, you see that one day at sundown, there are these crowds that show up. Uh, they were sick, they were demon possessed. And look at verse 33. Um, it says the whole city was gathered together at the door. and So swarms of people are gathering to get near Jesus, and it says that Jesus is up late into the night doing ministry, hands-on, caring for, healing, taking care of these people. And then in our passage, verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He goes off to be alone with God, to pray. And right in the middle of his kind of devotional time, his morning devotional time, he gets interrupted. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. So it's still dark and the crowds have reconvened. It's kind of like uh, when you go uh, camping for like tickets to get this this hot ticket for this concert or this play or whatever, and people camp out overnight to to wait in line. It's early in the morning. It's still dark from, from the night before, and the crowds have come back They want to see Jesus again. And so Simon and his friends, they wake up. They go to get Jesus because there's this crowd of people wanting to see him. They don't find Jesus. And so they light their lamps and they go off into the night. They go off into the field or wherever they were. And they're looking for Jesus. And they find Jesus alone praying. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? There's tons of people that are here. And I don't know what their tone was. You can't really read what tone is when you're just reading a text. But I could theoretically see them Excited over the fact that like, oh my goodness, Jesus, that like you are an overnight sensation. You have gone viral. Crowds have gathered. They want to be around you. You got to come. You got to go deal with these people. And look at what Jesus' response, very curious. Verse 38, he replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Now, when he says also, the implication is, well, I've been preaching here. I've been healing, I've been preaching, and I want to go preach somewhere else as well. And then he says this, that is why I have come. He's basically saying, I didn't come to be a local doctor. I didn't come to just be a physician. I came to preach Which raises this question, okay, why? Why is Jesus dead set on preaching, especially when there's so many obvious needs right in front of him, people that are sick, people that are hungry, people that are demon-possessed? And I think this question, why did Jesus come to preach, this is, I think it gets straight into the center of things, because why Jesus came as a preacher highlights the distinction from Christianity over and against every other religion, every other worldview. Now, I didn't come up with this, but you know theologians for years have made this distinction between advice and news. Maybe you've heard this kind of line of thinking before. What is the difference between advice and news? Advice is counsel about something to do, and it hasn't happened yet, but you can do it if you want to do it. That's what, that's what advice is. It's counsel over something that you can do. News is a report over something that has already been done. You can't do anything about it. All you can do is hear the news and respond to it. Now, a lot of people outside the church, most people outside the church, and in fact, a lot of people within the church, think that what the church is basically doing is giving people advice. That's why we exist. We exist so that people can come and and hear a sermon and take their notes over how to be a better person. And so you, you have... Uh, you know, different churches or different ministries teach things or preach things like here, here are the five steps to managing your money. Or here are the four keys to dating, but God's way. Or here is the, uh, here's how to raise your children. Here's how to make disciples. Here's how to control your language and on and on and on and on. It's, it's, a, it's a big system of advice. Here's a bunch of stuff that you need to do. Thought experiment. Let's do a little thought experiment. Let's just say that you have absolutely uh, no resources, and you have a serious terminal illness. Uh, It's it's so serious that unless you get this really expensive and extensive surgery done, you are going to die. But the problem is, is you have no resources. You can't pay for the surgery, and you have no connections. You have no idea where to even get this surgery done. And so let's just say that someone comes up to you and says, okay, well, I know this is a hard situation for you, but let me try to, l- let me give you a little advice. Uh, why don't you try out Whole30? Why don't you cut out, you know, carbs and sugar? Um, you really need to hydrate. You need to drink a lot of water. You want you want to join a gym. You're going to want to join a gym. And uh, there, there's a great app you could download that's really going to help you with meditation and time management now, it, all of that is good stuff, but none of it really helps you because giving health advice to someone who is terminally ill is just cruel. But what if someone else comes up to you and says, hey, I've got good news for you. I know somebody. I have a friend that's incredibly wealthy. And out of, out of complete grace and just unending generosity, they have decided to liquidate all of their assets. They, they've bankrupted themselves so that they, they've sold off everything that they own so that they have enough money now to give to you to hook you up with this with this surgery this you know surgeon in Germany that uh, can get you taken care of now fundamentally that is what we are offering the world as Christians that's what we are offering the world we are proclaiming news good news that Jesus has come Jesus has bankrupted himself. Jesus has liquidated all of his assets on the cross in order for terminally ill people to be saved. That's good news. It's already finished. You can't do anything about it. You can't change it. All you can do is simply respond to it. If Christianity was simply, here's the right way that you should live your life. If that's all it was, if that's fundamentally what, the, what Christianity was, if, if advice was our primary message, you don't really need words you don't need preaching. You just need demonstration. If what you're trying to do is get people to live differently, then all you really need at the end of the day is a demonstration. You don't need words. For example, uh, we just recently taught our son Reed how to tie his shoes. And the way that we taught him how to tie his shoes, we didn't sit him down at the table, the kitchen table, and we just explained it. We didn't say, hey, Reed, what you need to do is you're going to to take your left shoestring with your left hand, and you're going to want to make a loop, and blah, blah, blah. We, you know, that's not how you explain. That's not how you help somebody tie their shoes. You had to get down on one knee, and you had to use your hands, and you had to kind of you know show them how to do the bunny ear thing and loop it around this and blah, blah, blah. If, you, if you're wanting him to do something, you don't really need words. You just you need to demonstrate it. That's very different how we teach him about Harry Potter. When we're teaching him about Harry Potter, all we're using is words. We're just, we're just reading the story to him. We're, we're talking about it. He, when, when, you know He's asking questions and I'm answering them about, here's what Quidditch is. And here's why Malfoy is so mean and blah, blah, blah. As Christians, if our primary message is stop doing these bad things, start doing these good things, that's basically advice. You don't need words for that. You can just go watch a YouTube video. Uh, You can download a, you know, watch a TED Talk about how to live your life differently. But our primary message is news. Something has happened. The God of the universe has come into the broken world that we live in. And he has took upon himself everything that is wrong with the world. And he was slaughtered on the cross. And three days later, he was raised to new life. And all who trust in him will be raised to new life as well. That is news. That must be announced. That is a story that must be told. That is why Jesus had to preach Because Christianity, at its core, at its core, is an announcement about what God has done, not advice over what we should do. Christianity, at its core, is an announcement over what God has done, not advice over what we must do. This is why we, in the church, we have somebody stand up here and preach every single week and make this announcement of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, this is why we traffic in words, why we go out into the world and we go and we talk to our friends and our neighbors about who Jesus is and what He has done for us, uh, because the, the, the fundamentally primarily what we are offering the world is news that is why Jesus came so that 's why Jesus was preaching uh, was to announce news, but okay, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Second thing, why does this matter? And uh, there's lots of reasons why this matters, because we, we can kind of go on and on, but I'm just going to give you two reasons, and then we'll be finished. Jesus is preaching because we need truth and we need good news. Very simple. We need truth and we need good news. Let's look at those one at a time. We need truth. Um, sociologists are, are referring to our current cultural moment as post-truth. I mean, we talk about post-truth politics. Uh, our whole conversation has shifted away from what is the truth to what is my truth. Uh, I just recently watched the Netflix documentary, uh, the um, what is it called, the, the Social Dilemma, and it's a thought-provoking uh, documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, it, it freaked me out so much <laughs> I haven't really gotten on social media since because it's basically about. Um, how social media has impacted our world, largely in negative ways. But one of the angles that this documentary takes is it, it explores the role that social media plays in the spread of fake news and conspiracy theories. Uh, it, it cited an MIT study that discovered that fake news on Twitter spreads six times faster than real news. One of the talking heads on the documentary said we have, quote, we have gone from the information age to the disinformation, the disinformation age. And you feel that, especially in COVID land, where you, you don't know what to believe. You, you don't know who who is right. You know, which experts are you listening to? And you, you might say, well, somebody says, well, the CDC said this, but I just read an article that said this and it contradicted this. Like, it's just this confusion of what are we even supposed to believe about this thing? Uh, one of the other talking heads on there said, quote, we've created a system that biases toward false information, not because we want to, but because false information makes the companies more money than the truth. The truth is boring, end quote. And the last quote that I'll read that I found the most fascinating was this. One guy said, if we don't agree on what is true or that there is such a thing as truth, we are toast. That's on, that's on Netflix. Somebody's saying we need to, uh, we need to acknowledge that there is such a thing as truth. He's just articulating this deep human desire for truth. But you see this contradiction playing out in our culture because we simultaneously talk about my truth. That's my truth. But then we also have this deep instinct to want to fact check people, fact check politicians, fact check statements that are made. Both of those can't coexist. Uh, The the, the moment that you say there is no objective truth, well, you realize the problem with that. That itself is an objective truth claim. So wanting, wanting to know what the truth is is fundamental to our humanity. And here comes Jesus, stepping into the darkness and the confusion as the light to proclaim what the truth is. And the truth is, We live in a world that was created by God. And he's given us everything, every heartbeat, every breath, everything that we've ever eaten. It's all a gift from his hand. And we've rebelled against this God. And in his mercy, rather than punish us, what he has done is he has come in the person of his son, Jesus, to bear the punishment in our place. That's the truth. Now, you might just say, well, Matt, that's that's your truth. That's, that's, you know, if you say that is objectively true, that's just a power grab. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to control people. Okay, that's fair enough, but I want you to consider this. I'll read you one more long quote. This is from G.K. Chesterton. I want you to hear what he says. He says this. This is a, a philosopher, author, theologian from the early, 19th, uh, early 20th centuries. He said this. Quote, if I found a key on the road and discovered it fit and opened a particular lock at my house, I'd assume most likely that the key was made by the lockmaker." And if I find a set of teachings set out in pre modern Oriental society that has proven itself with such universal validity, that has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest hearts, that it has made itself at home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of beauty in every field of art, continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of jesus christ was not even heard if such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls in so many times and in so many places are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or a fool in fact it is more likely that they were designed by the heart maker here's what he's saying Why has the message of Christianity resonated with millions and millions of people across all cultures and across all centuries? That doesn't prove that Jesus is the truth, but I think you should at least factor that into your calculus as you are considering the truth claims of Christianity. We need truth. And so Jesus came to preach. That's that's the first reason why it matters. And here's the second reason, and I'll end with this. Because we need good news, Jesus came preaching. Because ultimately, we just need good news. Uh, but before he passed away, a number of—I guess—a number of years before he passed away, Michael Jackson did this taped interview that uh, I, I saw you know, years ago, and I just thought it was. Uh, There's this part in it that was has always been. Um, just so moving to me. Here's what he says in in this taped conversation. He says, I'm going to say something I've never said before, and this is the truth. I have no reason to lie to you. God knows I'm telling the truth. I think all my success and fame, and I've wanted it, I've wanted it, was because I wanted to be loved. That's all. I mean, I so appreciate his honesty. What he's saying is all of my drive, all of my career, what fueled me is because I so desperately wanted to be loved. There was this vacancy in his soul where it said, I need somebody to tell me that they love me and I'm willing to do anything in order to get it. I'm willing to sing and dance and perform and and, and do whatever because I so desperately want somebody to tell me that they love me. Now, you and I are absolutely no different. If we're honest, if you look at why you do what you do, at the root of it, you are longing for someone to love you, for someone to validate you, to reassure you, to tell you that you matter, that you are not alone, that you are valuable. That's why we do what we do. The fundamental thing that Jesus came to do was to reconcile us to God. Why? Because God loves us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. You know, I say this every single week, that we gather together as a church so that we might rest in his love for us. So that we might be reminded and just sit and soak in the reality that he loves you. That he was willing to liquidate all of his assets on the cross for you completely out of sheer grace. You matter that much to him. He delights over you with singing and you didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. In 10 million years from now, he will love you no more or no less than he does right this moment. There's this thing that Catherine and I do with our kids. We ask them this question, which they kind of find annoying now. But we'll always come to them and we'll say, you know, Zoe Kate, for example, we'll sit her down. Zoe Kate, what is the one thing I want you to know in this life? What is the one thing? There's a million things to know, but there's only one that I really want you to know. What is it? And she'll say it because now she knows kind of the drill. But she'll say, "I am loved." And that's it. We want her to know in the core of her being, you are beloved by your parents and by the God of this universe. The gospel is good news because it announces to you that you are indeed loved. When you find yourself and believe yourself to be unlovable and unlovely and unworthy of of anything good, The gospel, the good news comes to you and says, no, you are loved. Look at the cross. Look at how much he loved you, that he was willing to give up everything in order to have you. Who in the world loves you like that? Now, how would your life look different if you actually believed it? How would our our neighbors here in Midtown uh, look and feel different if they believed it? How would our country uh, be different if, if our country believed that? The good news is that it's true. You are loved by God. That is why Jesus came. He came to announce it, and he came to demonstrate it on the cross. And that is good news. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear the good news of why Jesus came, came to announce your love, and to demonstrate it for us as well. I pray that that would change us in the core of who we are, people that are lost, people that are in darkness, people that need truth and need good news. And thank you that we have it in Jesus' name. Amen.